we go. Got me live now as well. Best of both worlds, or maybe not. Um, anyway, good morning to all of you. Good morning to you watching at home. I know, I know there are a number of you who are currently having to isolate, so I really hope that this is serving you, bringing some light into your captivity at the moment, and, um, and also it's great to be with all of you. So as Shay said, we're continuing our journey through the Gospel of Luke, um, with a particular focus on the Kingdom of God. The series is called The King and His Kingdom. You know, what is the Kingdom life like? What should it be like for us today? And throughout the Gospel of Luke, we see Jesus proclaiming and demonstrating the kingdom. And as his followers, we are called to do the same. And over the last couple of weeks, the focus has been on what Jesus has been proclaiming about the kingdom, his teaching in his uh, sermon in in, in the previous chapter, in in chapter 6. And uh, he's teaching lots of things about what kingdom living really looks like. And as we heard last week uh, from Stuart, that teaching really culminates in a call to obedience, the, the wise and the foolish builders, and, and Jesus essentially saying, look, hear what I say, but also do what I say. Because Jesus teaches with great authority. He has great authority. And as we come into chapter 7, we see that authority that Jesus has. We see it demonstrated uh, in a very practical way. Jesus demonstrates something of what kingdom life looks like on the ground as we see the power of the kingdom demonstrated. So we're looking at the power of the kingdom today. So we'll have a look at three events in chapter 7. There's quite a lot of scripture that we're going to be reading through and just to see what these events tell us about Jesus and also how we should respond. So let's start with the first event which is in verses 1 to 10 of chapter 7. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, so the sermon he's just preached in the previous chapter, he entered Capernaum and there a centurion servant whom his master valued highly was ill and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. Um, now, let me just interject here. This, this is, that's quite a surprising thing, actually, because in the context, the Romans are the occupying power in Israel. And so to have these Jewish leaders pleading on behalf of a Roman centurion is quite strange because in general the Jews hated the Romans. The Romans were the oppressors and in general soldiers in the position of the centurion would kind of have a disdain. They would despise the local people as somehow inferior to them and they would treat them as such. Clearly this man is different. This man didn't do that. This centurion, it seems that he had come to love and respect the Jewish people, uh, he even paid for the building of the local synagogue. And so there's a humility that comes across about this centurion, and that continues to come across as we go through the story. So Jesus went with them, and he was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. And that's why I, I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word. Say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith, even in Israel. And then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. 
So there's an incredible healing that happens here. Jesus performs an incredible healing. The servant was on the point of death, and Jesus just healed him at a distance. But the thing is, as incredible as that healing is, it's almost an afterthought in this story. What, what is foregrounded in the story is the faith of the centurion and the authority of Jesus. Now, I don't think the centurion has a full understanding uh, of who Jesus is. I, I don't think he understands that this is God himself. But he does clearly see him as someone through whom God is working powerfully and that Jesus carries a divine authority in which the centurion has confidence, the centurion has faith. And it's not just an abstract, vague belief uh, about God or about God's power. It's a very clear belief that when Jesus commands something, it will be done. It, it will happen. It's a bit like when a military officer, like the centurion, commands somebody under him to do something. Such is the authority he carries that the person he's commanded will do it without question. They will obey without question. And he sees that that is the kind of authority that Jesus has over sickness. If Jesus commands someone to be well, they will be well. And it's a humble faith that he's got as well. He doesn't, he doesn't presume that Jesus will give that command, but he does ask. And he asks in full faith in Jesus' authority and also trusting in Jesus' compassion. How much confidence do we have? How much faith do you have in Jesus' authority? Knowing what you know about Jesus. You know, we have a full picture of who Jesus is, unlike that centurion. Now, I know that I can certainly sometimes or probably often lack that faith. I know there are times when I, ha I have plucked up the courage to to pray for healing for somebody um, outside the church. But I can think of many examples, including recent examples, of when I've thought, you know what, this is an opportunity to pray for healing for this person. But for one reason or another, I haven't done it. This is why I love the story that we shared a couple of weeks ago. It's Rachel's story of how she prayed for someone on the street. And in fact, that story is so good that I want us to hear it again. So we're going to listen to Rachel's story again right now. On Sunday the 4th of July, John spoke about healing as part of the Naturally Supernatural teaching series. And I was really impacted by it. I listened to it a couple of times actually, and it was going round and round in my mind. A couple of days later on the Tuesday, I was asked by a neighbour of mine if I could give them a lift down to Desborough to one of the shops locally. And I said, yes, I would, but I wanted to take their dog with me as well because I bought their dog for them. So I'd got their mastiff with me in my hand. And I was walking round Desborough and I went round a corner and bumped into two guys that I knew from my night shelter volunteering days. And I was really shocked by what I saw. One of the guys was bright yellow, really bright yellow, and his stomach was really distended. They were both drunk, but the state of this one, I was really shocked. And out of my mouth said, oh my goodness, what's happened? What's happened? But in my mind, I was thinking, oh no, I'm going to have to pray for him. And between them, they explained to me, there was a language barrier, they explained to me that he had been in hospital and he had just been released from hospital, that there were serious liver issues. It sounded like they didn't think he should have been released from a hospital, so they weren't very happy about it, but that's what's happened. And so he was walking around the streets of Desborough drunk with his friend, having just been re released from hospital with what looked to me like liver failure. So I looked at him and I looked at his friend and I looked down at the dog 
So I said, I'm going to have to pray for you. But said to the other one, can you hold the dog? Because I couldn't work out how I could pray and hold Stella at the same time. So I gave Matey Boy the dog and I just stood in front of him and put my hands out. And I can't remember whether I said, be healed in Jesus' name, or I, com- I, I looked at his stomach and said, I command you to go down and be healed in Jesus' name. And, and that was it, that, <laughs> that was it. And um, he looked really bewildered by what I was doing. I don't know if he actually understood what I was saying, but he looked really bewildered and stumbled off further down the street. And I grabbed the dog back off the other one and I went off. I went back to my car and waited for uh, my neighbor to come out of the shop. I kept my eyes out looking for this guy and I couldn't see him, I didn't see him anywhere. He didn't seem to be hanging out with uh, any of the other men that I knew he socialised with. And to be honest, I was convinced he was dead, that he had died, and that I would one day be told that he had died. Seven weeks later, I was out the front of the church here and I saw him walking down Desborough Road as fit as a fiddle. I honestly couldn't believe it. He was so alive. He was more alive than I've ever seen him before he was ill, if that makes sense. He was a lovely, healthy colour. I I ran across the road and I stood in front of him and said, you're alive, you're alive. God's healed you. And he grinned at me and looked a bit embarrassed because I was quite noisy about it. But he was alive. It was absolutely amazing. He told me he hadn't, he wasn't drinking anymore. So he was sober. His liver was obviously completely well because he wasn't yellow in any in any way whatsoever. And his face looked peaceful and he just looked like a really, really well person. And it was absolutely amazing. It was absolutely amazing. So what I've learned is that it was nothing to do with me. I didn't get the prayer wrong. I'd used Jesus's name and it was his name that had the power. And I'm just an ordinary person changed by Jesus to change the world. It's a great story. We might hear that story and think the success in the story is the result, it's the healing, and that is wonderful. Actually, I think the success in the story is the courage that Rachel showed to pray. Because I'm sure we've all faced situations like that and haven't prayed. It takes great courage to do something like that, but it's a courage which is born out of love. And what becomes clear in that, in that story is that Rachel's confidence, her faith wasn't necessarily high and really strong, but what confidence she had was not in herself, it was in Jesus and in his power to heal. It's in his authority to heal. So she prayed, she put it in his hands, and it resulted in this miraculous healing. Praise God. We celebrate that as well. We want to see more of that. We want to see more people miraculously healed. But we know it always, doesn't always work like that, does it? You know, it doesn't always happen. Sometimes we ask for something in prayer and the answer is no. And clearly God has the right to give that answer. But the point is, we shouldn't have any hesitation about asking. We should never back off from asking because we can have confidence in who we're asking, the person we're asking and the authority he carries. And actually, even more than that, the authority that he has given us He gives us authority. The centurion in the story says, I myself am a man under authority. Before he then goes on to talk about the authority he has over his soldiers and over his servants. The centurion only has that authority that he has because there's a deferred authority that comes from above him, from the generals in the Roman army. 
who give him that authority, and ultimately, of course, from the emperor himself, from, from, from the king. So the centurion's relationship to the king is what gives him any authority that he has. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, think about your relationship to the king. You are united with Christ, we're told in the book of Romans. You're united with Christ. You are seated with him in the heavenly realms, is what it says in Ephesians 2. You're seated with him in the place of authority, far above every other authority and every other power, every other rule, every other dominion. We have authority in Christ, given by him, the one who has ultimate authority. And Jesus can work through that authority and he can work through your faith in him and in, and in his authority to bring healing. And so we should look for opportunities to do that. We should look for opportunities to pray and to ask for healing, even to command healing in the name of Jesus. Because we're commissioned to do that. We're commissioned to bring the kingdom of God into the lives of others. So when we see sickness, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for us to pray and see what the Father will do. It's an opportunity to bring the kingdom into the life of somebody else. It's an opportunity for the power of the kingdom to break in. So we should look for those opportunities. Now, of course, you can overplay the faith card very easily, and it can result in a very unhelpful situation of saying, well, that person wasn't healed because of your lack of faith. Now, we don't get into that either. We don't get into that kind of condemnation. Clearly, faith is important. Otherwise, these stories wouldn't be here in the Bible. Clearly, faith has a role to play in the kingdom breaking in. But the next story in chapter 7 also shows us that Jesus doesn't need our faith. He can operate perfectly well without our faith as well. So let's read verses 11 to 17. Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. Now that's a really important detail, because you know, not only is this woman now on her own, but, but also without a husband or without a son, in other words, no male member of the family, she's extremely vulnerable. And she has no money, she has no income, there's no social security, there's no life insurance or anything like that. So this is, apart from the grief of losing her son, this is a really, really bleak day. She's lost everything. And she's almost certainly going to slide into poverty. And it says, a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, I love that line, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. And then he went up and he touched the bier, the, the, the stretcher that the, they were carrying him on, and the bearer stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. And they were all filled with awe, and they praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. And this news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Now again, an incredible example of Jesus' authority and his power. But do you know what stands out for me in this story? It's his compassion. It's the compassion. This is authority and power with compassion. This isn't a case of somebody coming to Jesus, interceding on behalf of the widow and, and her dead son. It's not even the widow herself going to Jesus to ask for help. She, she can't focus on anything. She's just mourning. She's devastated. Her life is over. Jesus goes to her out of sheer compassion. It says that he sees her. I love that. He sees her. 
he notices. Jesus sees her, his heart goes out to her, and he chooses to walk right into the midst of her grief and her sadness. And I just want us to pause there for a minute because this is who Jesus is. Let's not miss that. This is who Jesus is. This is what he does. And I wonder what situations you might be facing in your life right now or maybe things that are coming up which are causing you that sense of grief or sorrow or distress or maybe a sense of dread and fear or maybe bitterness or anger or frustration. You know, it could be a health situation it could be a job situation, it could be a family issue, all sorts of things. Just think of what, what is that situation you might be facing. And it might be that you're not, but I suspect many of us are. Just think of it now and the feelings that that stirs up. Maybe even try and visualise that particular thing. But then as you do that, know that Jesus sees you. He sees you. And he comes to stand with you. He comes to join with you right in the middle of that situation. Just visualize that. Jesus coming alongside. Jesus coming and standing right next to you. And let him approach you. And in prayer, you can let him approach. You can let him speak to you. You can let him touch you. And he might not do exactly what you want him to do. He might not change the situation the way you would like him to change it. He might not do what you expect him to do. But actually what you really need In that situation, whatever it is, is his presence. That's what you need. You need the presence of God with you. And with Jesus next to you in the middle of that situation, that is what will carry you through. Nothing else can. That is what will carry you through. Jesus is with you. He sees you. And he's with you. And we'll have a chance a bit later on just to continue thinking of that and inviting Jesus into that situation. But Jesus says to the widow, he says, don't cry. Don't cry. Now, that would be a pretty cruel thing to say if he wasn't intending to do something about the reason for her grief. And he touches this stretcher that the dead man is on. And that should have made Jesus ceremonially unclean. It's why the stretcher bearers stop and everyone's shocked because that should make Jesus ceremonially unclean. But just as with the healing of the leper that I spoke on a few weeks ago from chapter 5, It works the other way around with Jesus. Jesus doesn't become unclean. His cleanness infects what is unclean. His life flows into what is dead. And he tells the dead man to get up, and he does. It's just astounding. In the previous story, Jesus heals someone who's on the point of death, but is not dead, has not been taken by death. But here he shows even death itself is in his power. Jesus has power over death. And of course, what we know is that there will be a time in the near future when Jesus himself, again, a widow's son, would also be carried off for burial having been killed on a cross. But he would also be raised to new life, but his resurrection would reverse the power of death for good for all who put their trust in him. Jesus tells this dead man to get up, and he gets up. Just imagine that. Imagine seeing that. Imagine being there. What would your reaction be? Understandably, all the people there are filled with awe. And they praise God and, and they recognize that Jesus they recognize Jesus as a prophet. They say a great prophet is among us. They haven't quite grasped who Jesus is fully, but they do recognize there's divine power on display. Why do they call Jesus a prophet? Well, probably because what Jesus has just done is reminiscent of Elijah and Elisha, who are also great prophets of the past, 
because they both raised young men to life in their ministries through, through prayer. But actually, this incident with Jesus is different. It is different because Elijah and Elisha, they prayed earnestly over, these, over this body. They even stretched themselves out physically over the dead body. And Elijah did that three times before this person, this young man, was raised to life. Jesus just commanded it. He just, he just commanded it. The centurion in the previous story had it absolutely spot on. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. Just say the word. One word from Jesus changes everything. That's the authority. That's the power that he has. But you can see people are struggling to work out who Jesus is. They see his authority. They, they see his power. But is he actually the promised Messiah? And this is the question that John the Baptist is wrestling with in the final section that we're going to read from chapter 7. So I'm going to read verses 18 to 23. And it says, John's disciples told him about all these things, these two miracles that we've just looked at. And calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? So when the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? So John the Baptist is in prison um, at the time. He wouldn't get out of prison. He would be executed in prison. And he's doubting Jesus. He's doubting whether Jesus really is the Messiah. Now that's surprising because, of course, it was John in chapter 3 of Luke who had announced Jesus as this coming Messiah, as this, this coming king. It's what we started this series with. But John clearly feels that there's something missing from Jesus' ministry. That he isn't establishing the kind of messianic kingdom that John wanted or that John expected, which presumably would include liberation for prisoners like himself. He's wondering, why am I stuck in a prison cell if Jesus really is the one? John had talked about the Messiah coming with his winnowing fork and chaff being burnt up and coming in judgment and liberation. And from John's point of view, well, there doesn't seem to be very much chaff burning going on. Not a lot of judgment happening, not much winnowing fork action. And John is there, he's rotting away in a prison cell, hence the doubt and hence the question that he asks of Jesus. But Jesus responds. And it says, at that very time, in other words, in those moments when the two disciples came to him to ask the question... In those moments, Jesus cured many who had diseases, illnesses, evil spirits, and he gave sight to many who were blind. And so he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. So in that response, Jesus, once again, just demonstrates very practically his power and his authority. He just heals a bunch of people, gives sight to the blind, just heals people there and then. But then in what he says, in the words he uses, they're very deliberately chosen words. In, in saying the blind see, the, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the dead are raised, good news is proclaimed to the poor. He's deliberately referencing texts from Isaiah. And these are texts which talk about the time when God will come to deliver his people. And so Jesus is saying, look, this is evidence. Yes, I am the Messiah. Now, he's not saying that out loud. It's not the time for that yet. But he's inferring to John and to the people who are listening, yes, 
I am the Messiah. Now, the judgment aspect may not have come. It will come, but it hasn't come yet. But these evidences from Isaiah, they are happening right now. And yes, I know the Romans are still in power. And yes, I know there are still corrupt religious leaders around. And John, I know that you are in prison. But you've got to know the restoration has begun. It's begun, and these are the signs of it. So be reassured. You didn't get it wrong, John. I am the Messiah. Now, things may not be happening in the way that you expected, but you can trust me. And then he says, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Other versions translate that as blessed is the one who is not offended by me, not offended by Jesus. Now, I guess we can kind of relate to John sometimes in, in the doubts he has about Jesus and even about being offended by Jesus when Jesus doesn't work in the way that we think he should. He doesn't do what we think he should do. And we're talking about the power of the kingdom today, and particularly healing power and even authority over death. But how often, as I, as I said earlier, how often do we refrain from praying for healing because maybe we've allowed some doubt to creep in. We've allowed disappointment or we've allowed offence at Jesus to creep in because he didn't heal that person when we prayed. Or he didn't prevent this person from dying in spite of faithful and earnest prayer. And so maybe we don't have that level of faith that the centurion had in the authority of Jesus. Maybe we doubt it. Or maybe we don't have that conviction of Jesus' compassion. Maybe there are times when we think, actually, he he was less than compassionate. And so we don't pray because we're worried that God won't come through. And so just as I finish today, two quick things on that. Two to avoid that sense of offence or disappointment at Jesus. And I've spoken about this before at a bit more length, but briefly today. The first thing is to understand, we've got to understand that God doesn't owe us anything. God doesn't owe you anything. The centurion understood that. There's a really interesting contrast in that story where the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders who he sends to Jesus, they're saying to Jesus, he deserves to have you do this for him. Because he's a good man, he's done, he's done good things, he deserves it. They think the healing of the servant is deserved, it's merited, not because they have faith in Jesus, but because they have faith in meriting divine power through good works. That God's power should move, it's deserved in the lives of those who are worthy, in the lives of the virtuous. That's not what the centurion thinks at all. He sees himself as unworthy. He says, I didn't consider myself worthy to come to you, Jesus. I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. He's not asking Jesus to heal because he thinks he's worthy of it. No, far from it. He understands that for all his good and virtuous works, God owes him nothing. And we have to understand that. We have to grasp that for ourselves and root out where there may be any spirit of entitlement in our hearts. God loves to give good things. He loves to give his children good things but he doesn't owe us anything. What we deserve, if we really think about it, is death and eternity in hell. That's what we deserve. It's purely by God's grace that, praise God, he has given us a very different future. So I can't be disappointed. I can't be offended at God because he hasn't done something I want him to do. Because everything that I have is a gift. Everything is a gift. And even if God does nothing else for me in my whole lifetime, I've already had far, far more than I ever deserved. And understanding that, grasping that, really does release us into gratitude instead of disappointment. And and, and being able to celebrate what God is doing 
to be able to celebrate a time when God does heal, even though we know this person is waiting for their healing, but we can celebrate with everything we have the fact that God has healed this person with no sense of offence, no sense of unfairness, no sense of disappointment, because actually God doesn't owe us anything. Everything is a gift. So we have to be careful we don't let offence come in when God doesn't act according to our timetable or our good ideas. And then the second thing is, we have to lay down our right to understand. Lay down your right to understand. The reality is, of course, that we don't know why God might heal this person and not that person. We don't know. It's a mystery. And we often think that we need to understand that mystery to find a sense of peace. That's not what will bring us peace. The Apostle Paul talks about the peace of God which transcends all understanding. The peace that we need comes not in the understanding but in the surrender. That's how we find peace, is in surrendering to God, even though we don't know why he has done this and not done that. We lay down our right to understand, and instead we choose to trust in the goodness and the sovereignty of God, to trust completely in the compassion of Jesus that we saw so clearly displayed in that story of the raising of the widow's son, because that is who Jesus is. And there is never a time when he is any less loving or any less compassionate than we see there. And of course, ultimately, we see his compassion. We see the guarantee of his love and his compassion on the cross as he's nailed to a cross for you and me, taking the curse of sin, taking the death that we deserve, and then completely turning it on its head by being raised to new life. He sets in motion an irreversible restoration of creation. That is what will guarantee your healing, your ultimate healing for everyone who puts their trust in him, some of which we see in the now, some of which we will see in the future, in eternity. And he takes the power of death away so that death need hold no fear for followers of Jesus. Praise God. Praise God, it's good news. So I'm going to ask the band to come back up as I finish. I just want to encourage us today to look at, look at who Jesus is. And let's be a people who go after the power of the kingdom intentionally. Who go after supernatural breakthrough. Go after that healing and not back off when something doesn't go the way that we hoped, that we wanted it to. To not let offence come in. To not let disappointment come in. To realise God owes us nothing. To lay down our right to understand and not back off. It was John Wimber who said, I'd rather pray for a hundred people and see one healed than pray for no one and see no one healed. I think that's a great attitude for us to have. Let's just keep praying. Let's keep trusting in Jesus, in his authority, in his compassion, in the authority he's given us. Let's trust in that for others and let's trust in that for ourselves as well. We're going to have a time of healing in just a few minutes. But first we're going to worship. We're going to worship. We're going to lift up the name of Jesus. And I would encourage you, in fact, let's, let's stand together. And as we worship, I would encourage you just to take this opportunity to lift those situations again before God. Maybe a situation you were thinking of earlier. Lift those situations before God. Invite him to speak. Invite him to speak into them. Invite him to, to, to come alongside, to come into the middle of that situation. Because one word from Jesus can change everything that is the authority he has that is the power he has and he is so so loving and so compassionate one word from Jesus let's worship him